What's up, you guys? Welcome back to Table for Two. I am your host, Kirsten, and I'm so excited for today's episode. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so good. This is something that I've been excited about for weeks now. I have an incredible, beautiful black woman joining me at the table this week. She is a boss. She is just so amazing. And I'm excited to have this conversation with her. She's the one and only Linga. Welcome to the table, Linga. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. And what an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm so excited um, to just hang out with you and chat with you today um, about a conversation that I believe is going to get deep and real, uh, and it's going to push us all, but in such a graceful um, and loving way. Um, Linga, you are someone that when I think about you, you are someone who is so good at talking about unity and diversity and just really breaking it down in a way that makes it seem so easy to approach for, um, because for so many, it can be such a topic that everyone wants to kind of shy away from or doesn't know how to approach, and it can just feel like such this huge topic. But anytime I've hear, heard you share your heart on the matter, you have just made it seem so simple and so much easier to talk about um, than I think we make it. And so I'm so excited. But before we dive in, Linga, to get the ball rolling, if someone was to hang out with you and grab coffee with you, what should they expect? Who shows up to the table? <laughs> Well, the first thing is I probably wouldn't order coffee. Um, I'm, I'm not the biggest coffee fan. I'd probably end up getting um, getting a chai or mm. or matcha or something like that. That's kind of my my order. But you know, I, I love I love a good coffee hang, even if I don't get coffee. And I, um, you know, I'm I'm a business owner and I'm an artist and I'm a creative and I just love to connect with people. I care about diversity and inclusion and unity. And I think those things are so necessary. And in any space, in any context I'm in, I, I love to just um, bridge, you know, create bridges and and hear mm-hmm. people's stories and um and and think about and think about Jesus and uh what God has weaved in every single person. Um I think every person's purpose um has very specific impact on this world. It's necessary and needed. And so I love to just motivate and encourage and inspire people. Mm, I love that. First of all, I love that you are a chai and matcha girl. I feel like people are sleeping on matcha and it is so good. They really are. <laughs> I love me a good matcha with a splash of vanilla. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I love that. And I really think you are such a good bridge for people. And so that's another reason I'm so excited to have this conversation. And so on that, Lingo, what is the two that you want to bring to the table today? I think that I've heard it said about me two two things that I'm either too vocal or um, too optimistic when it comes to the conversation about unity and racial reconciliation and and diversity. That I that I'm too vocal in the sense that I I'm I'm saying too much or I'm always talking about it. And to me, it's just it's a necessary conversation that honestly hasn't been happening enough in the space mm-hmm. that it needs to be happening in. I think that there's a, a more broader context in which, you know, racial injustice and, and unity has never been spoken about more. 
But then there's another context where it's not being addressed enough and address meaning accountability, responsibility, addressing things, changing structures, getting rid of things and, and, and upheaving systems that aren't working anymore. At that level, there's still so much to be done. And so I'm going to be vocal <laughs> until that shifts. And then also too optimistic because I understand that this has been something that especially in America has persisted for over 400 years, these attitudes about race and how they interact. Um, mm. But to me, it's not as complicated, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. I think that Jesus makes it very simple. Mm. Um, and I think that if we're following the ways of Jesus, the way that we approach unity just looks different because we have a blueprint from heaven, it's different, you know? And so yeah. I, I definitely live in that, that tension of, you know, too optimistic and too vocal. But I would, you know, I, I think that it's necessary that someone would, would continue to speak up and not approach it from a place of defeat. I would rather be optimistic about, you know, unity and about the future of our world and how we can interact, at least in the church. I, you know, mm. we have no control over what takes place in the world, but the church is the bride of Christ. We're full of the Holy Spirit. We have the fruits of the Spirit. We can display, we can be an example, you know, of, of Christ and, and what it looks like to live a Christ-like life and relate mm. to people from all over. God's heart is every tribe and every tongue. Yeah. It has no place in that. And so it just, it moves me to, to consider that, honestly. Wow. That's so good. Oh my goodness. There's already so much goodness in that. But before we start unpacking everything that you just shared, what inspired your heart and your passion um, to be so vocal about this topic? Yeah, I think that um, it really came from this realization a few years ago. Um, I was I was just thinking about some of the seasons I've I've had in ministry. I've I've worked and served in in ministry for over nine years, wow. um, and I was just thinking back in my experiences. It was I think it was this must have been in 2020 because it was during a time when the uh, racial injustice and racism was just a subject of, of a lot of conversation. And I was thinking about my time in ministry up until that point. And I realized that at every place I'd ever been in ministry, every place I'd ever served, every place I'd ever led, every single one of those experiences um, in all of those environments, I had experienced racism. And it came mm. from different levels, from peers in some places. But honestly, in a way that was really concerning to me, a lot of the times it came from the highest level, from the senior pastors and the people that were my mentors and people that were pouring into me. And so it's very interesting and a very strange dichotomy to be learning and gleaning from somebody who was also simultaneously perpetrating racism. And mm. I think because that's where I was and because that's um, you know, the place that God had led me, I think I just felt like, oh, I got, just got to deal with this. You know, I'm one of the one of the only people of color here anyway, like this comes with the territory, but mm -hmm. it doesn't come with the territory of a Jesus follower. You know, wow. and, and I don't think that at the time I, I could put to words what I was experiencing and why I felt like it was wrong. So I kind of just endured. Um, and I just came to that point when I realized, no, like, we follow Jesus. If I worked at Starbucks and I was experiencing this, it would still suck and not be okay. But yeah. their example isn't Christ. But here you've committed as a, as a pastor to shepherd people and disciple people in the ways of Christ. And racism is not a part of that. That's not to say that people can't make mistakes. But the difference between a mistake and a way of life is repentance. 
Um, and so I think that a lot of times there was a lot of things being said and done that were being done willy nilly without any sort of personal, like, you know what, I shouldn't have said or done that. Mm. Uh, let me, let me, repentance means to turn away. There was no turning away from, you know, in those environments. And I started to realize this is because it's ingrained here and, and, mm. and we need to, this needs to be uprooted. We're the bride of Christ and Jesus is coming back for his pure bride. And I don't want there to be anything that's a hindrance between what Jesus has, has, you know, has called me to do as a, as a leader, as a pastor. That's what I think about when I think about, you know, some of the leaders in the past, I think about who, um, who, who were saying and doing things that honestly were, were racist and were prejudiced. When I think back, I'm like, man, when Jesus comes back, if I'm a pastor, I, I don't want there to be any hindrance in my heart to the people mm. that I lead because I'm accountable to him and that matters. And so th- that realization just kind of really stirred a passion in me. And I just, I took that time really to just research and read and think and pray. And I just said, God, how do we address this? Something, you know, something has got to give. This yeah. is not the way that you intended ministries to operate, you know, and, and some, and in some of those seasons, it was the very early stages of, uh, you know, of stepping into that, that calling to ministry. And I think if I didn't have the foundation and the faith I had prior to stepping into those seasons, these are the kind of, uh, some of the experiences I had are wild. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe them. We'd be here for a really long time if I told them <laughs> all. But they were wild. It's the kind of thing, if I didn't have a foundation in Christ, they they could have taken me out, not just out of ministry, but out of the faith. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's really damaging to consider that there are that are there are pastors that have made an agreement with something so damaging that it actually puts someone's um, future in ministry and future calling and future relationship with Jesus on the line um, wow. because of hurts that are being perpetrated. Mm. Wow, that's so that's so real. I um I can relate to a lot of that in some ways. Being um, I grew up in an African American um, church. And then, you know, as I began ministry, most of it was done in predominantly white spaces. And I know it can be so easy, but even not even just in, in the church of, in the context of churches, which I believe that's where the conversation can be most important. Because as you said, it's followers of Jesus. Like we are supposed to have the answer and be a solution, not be adding to the problem. Um, but I think all throughout life, being with family members and other people who are black and hearing comments of you're not black enough and then being around other people groups where it's like, well, you're too black. And I think so often it can become very uncomfortable to know what to say and how to address it when it hits you in those moments. And so how have you learned to navigate those moments as you've reflected back on your times in ministry and different moments where you face such real and like in your face moments like that absolutely I think that um I think it's it's like a twofold response because I think what happens in a lot of spaces is that like people will say these kinds of things or or you'll be in in a situation where something in your face will happen and everyone just kind of expects it to be like you know a joke that you know mm-hmm. you know you just kind of slide under the rug or you just like extend grace or i didn't mean it the way you took it that's usually kind of what follows this kind of commentary which isn't doesn't really help with anything it just mm-hmm. it just masks the issue and so i think for me i've i've had to learn to be able to communicate clearly not not necessarily angrily not necessarily hurt but just clearly like hey that was that was not cool what you mm-hmm. said this is why 
if you're going to say that at the very least, don't say it to me because I'm not okay with that. And yeah. you know, just establishing that boundary. Um, and I also think that there, there's a lot more educational conversations that need to happen. But I also think that the other part of it is that um, there's just a lot of unacknowledged. I mean, I can relate to even being, being, you know, not black enough or, or, or too black work being around people of color, especially if you're raised or if you're just, you know, in some, at some level in environments where um, typically predominantly white areas, you kind of start to code switch and get, and get comfortable in those environments. And then when you kind of return, not return, but you're back around, you know, people of color who hang out with more people of color, then you're like, oh my gosh, Mm. wait, (laughs) I don't, you know, I didn't even know about that. And you kind of feel this, this middle ground of like, you know, what, (laughs) what am I? And I think Mm. what I've really allowed myself to do is to be fully myself in both environments like I'm not going to code switch for you. Sometimes it happens naturally and you can't control it, but I'm not going to code switch for you. I'm going to wow. speak the way I speak. So I'm going to speak the same way I speak at home, the the way that I speak here. You know, I'm if I if I use slang at home, I'm going to use it here. I'll just tell you what it means. You know, I'm going to be full mm. of you. Um because I I can't create another persona for your comfortability. Um, oh. I have to live my life day to day. I have things God's called me to do. There's there's a world full of broken, hurting people that that need the love of Jesus, and I get to be a carrier of that. And God called me in my unique personality, in the in, in the unique interest I have to to influence the world and the environment around me in that way. And so I've got to just be me. I've got to be fully me. And um and if that's not if you're not comfortable with that, I get that. We don't have to be friends. We don't have to be friends with everybody. You know, mm. I'm called to love you, but we don't have to hang out, you know? And I think that kind of freedom to just say, okay, in this life, not everybody's going to be my person. Yeah. I get to, you know, I get to choose the way I'm going to operate and I'm going to be myself. I'm going to speak how I need to speak. I'm going to, you know, have interest in what I'm, I remember someone told me because I liked anime that I wasn't black. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. Who, why someone that wasn't black told me that too so it was really interesting I'm like so you're defining blackness interesting that's mm. based on stereotypes and you're not even black to know the experiences and even then every person that is black is ex- is exhibiting blackness so yeah. <laughs> every per- there's always an exception to the rule which is why stereotypes are really a shame because they don't represent the reality a lot of the times yeah Wow, that's so true. Um, I love that you said every single person is that is black is exhibiting blackness because that is like, man, that needs to be put somewhere and framed. <laughs> that is so good. And I think about when you talk about becoming a person who is going to be fully themselves no matter where you are, I have found in my own life that being able to do that comes with myself being comfortable with who I am Mm. as a black person and so I know I've talked to other people who have encountered moments where they've been told they were too black or not black enough or um, even to expand expand out of that anyone who is in the Latina um, community has said they've experienced that in their own way Um, so how would you encourage others as you've been on this journey to just learn to be fully yourself in every space how would you encourage someone to be comfortable with being fully okay with who they are as a black person or whoever they may be? Yeah, that's, that is very important. And honestly, I'll say it's a journey. I think, 
um, I can speak to being a black woman because that's what I am and that's what I've experienced. But mm. it is very interesting and difficult at some level to be um, to be a black woman just because of the the things that are um, preconceived and the stereotypes and the perspectives that people have about um, black women. It's, it's why so many black women experience medical racism and racism in dating and mm. just all of these things because of what's preconceived um, about them. And so I know for me, there was a time where I didn't, I felt like I was too dark. My like just skin shade was way too dark. I remember I didn't like my hair, felt like my hair should have been like the way that my white friend's hair looks like and all of mm -hmm. these things just because they were the things that people would say, you know, I couldn't do my nails too long. How I, I used to like them, you know, in fact, I still do, but especially I'm, I'm thinking back to when I was like in high school and I wanted to get my nails done and I liked how the long nails look, but people would be like, that's ghetto. And people would say, you know, even about braids, people do braids all the time now, but I remember there was a season in life. I don't know what was going on where everyone would just say that getting, um, getting box braids was ghetto. And so mm. I think if you notice the trend, this is about everybody says, everybody says, everybody thinks, and this group think um, was in influencing my decisions. And so what helped me was kind of returning to returning to the, to the, to the roots, I would say like, mm. oh, who did God make me to be? The first thing I am is a daughter of, of God. And then of my, of my parents who are black, who are from I'm from Zambia. So who are from, who are from Zambia? I'm African and we have a beautiful, rich history in Africa. And then I was raised in England. So I have different experiences. I, I have, a, you know, my accent is different. The way that I speak is different because I was raised in this environment. Then I moved to Arizona and then I was around a whole other environment so that all of these things have informed the person I'm becoming. And mm -hmm. I don't need to fit their box because I didn't live in their environment. I lived in mine. And so I get to be the, the expression of that. And my hair looks like this because God made it that way. And I'm a mm. reflection of the glory of God that way. And my skin looks like this because God made it that way. And I'm a reflection of his glory that way. And so for me, it was just kind of really stepping back and, and recognizing that every part of me, the Bible says that we were knit together in our mother's womb. Um, God knit me together and, and knitting is intricate. You know, I, sometimes I like to knit and, and to crochet and I'll tell you, it takes forever and it's intricate and, and mm. it's delicate and you're planning and you're, and you're watching all of your stitches come together. And that kind of imagery helps me to view myself so differently. I wrote a song and it's called heaven. And in the, in the chorus, I have these lines that say, every hue of me is heaven painted mm. on my skin Every breath I breathe is heaven living within. And that really just changed everything for me because it's like, regardless of what everybody is saying, the reality is that God made God made me like this. God breathed on me like this. God ordained it for me to be like this. And I think that just shifts everything because it, it helps me recognize it's not, it's not by mistake or by accident. If God purposed it to be this way, then there's something beautiful about that. And I want to lean into I want to lean into it and discover it with God. So I don't think it happens overnight. I don't think you just suddenly become comfortable with yourself. But I think that when you when you allow your identity to first come from, you know, from God and, and, and what God says about you, I do think it informs the way that you respond to what people say about you. Wow. Yeah. I love that you shared those lyrics about um, how every hue of you is a breath of heaven. And I think that's one of the most beautiful and important aspects of talking about unity and talking about diversity, because I think it can be so easy to 
get overwhelmed by the conversation and get overwhelmed by trying to make sure we hit everything. But it becomes so simple when we just relate it back to it being really the culture of heaven. As we talk about that and we talk about the fact that it looks like heaven on earth, how have you seen the way that you approach diversity and unity when you understand that it all relates to how heaven is going to look one day? Yeah, I mean, it, it is really a beautiful picture and it helps me to it helps me to look at um, the subject, hopefully, instead of, you know, because I think that there are some situations and there are things that are still happening in 2021 that could be disheartening and, you know, heartbreaking and just make you feel like, man, this is never going to end. This will never change. But I think when I think about the picture and the beauty of heaven and what God intended for every tribe and every tongue to stand together, worshiping Jesus together and what that could be like and what happens in environment, like just in the world, imagining the, the different ways and the different places that people are encountering Jesus and where the Holy Spirit is moving. It's a beautiful picture that I think allows faith to begin to be stirred. Um, and you can kind of lift your head again and remember like, man, Jesus is above all of this. He reigns above it all. Um, and I think recognizing that helps me to realize um, the parts of it that are on me are, mm. are, are, um, are so limited compared to what God has already planned and purposed and he's already doing. And I also think it helps me to recognize that there is there is something that's in my hands to do. I think, you know, I, a lot of people are praying for unity and for re racial reconciliation. And I think those are powerful, necessary prayers. But I think that what I've come to realize when I think about the picture and the beauty of heaven and what God intended is that we're the answer to our own prayer. Mm -hmm. um, because we have already the understanding of God's heart and we have the ability by our actions to display his heart. We're already the answer. Like, you know, we're praying for unity. And, and I guess that's what frustrates me sometimes is a lot of times we're praying for unity, but we're not doing any of the work to address our own biases wow. and to unlearn things that we've, you know, we've started to believe about people and prejudices that we've carried from our past experiences. Because I think anything that you don't heal, if you're not careful, you'll end up repeating and hurting someone else. Um, and so I think it's so important that we we take stock and personal inventory and say, man, is there a bias I have? Is there something I'm doing? And I and I think that that's the first part. And then I also think that there's another sect of people that's you know they're praying for unity, but we're not willing to extend forgiveness um, to people who have you know maybe who have honestly perpetrated you know, traumatic, painful racism, but who have repented and, and recognized, man, I should not have done that. I said things I shouldn't have said. Those people, like, you know, how do we have unity if we can't ever sit in this space where we say, man, this person is now learning. I forgive them. Here's that grace. Jesus gives me grace. He gives me new mercies every morning. I think I need to be able to extend that same thing to other people. I really think that unity is going to be the fruit of repentance and forgiveness. It's people who are perpetrating things, repenting and saying, man, that's not what God has called me to do. I haven't been looking at people who are made in the image of God the way I should have been. Let me repent from that. And then the people who've experienced that, recognizing their heart and saying, okay, they're taking responsibility. I forgive you. Let's move forward. That's unity. That's mm. unity. And I think that there's the problem has been, I think a lot of times what happens is that there are people who are like asking for grace and for forgiveness, um, but aren't actually attempting to, to repent or to learn anything or to, 
to you know address their personal prejudices so it's like that kind of you know ask feels dismissive to the problem it's Mm -hmm. not that you know grace or forgiveness are are bad or shouldn't be extended it's that it's dismissive how do you ask for forgiveness for something that you're still currently actively doing like first stop doing the thing so that then we know okay cool this person's also not going to keep doing this because i said before the difference really between a mistake and a way of life is is repentance and then i think that beyond that it's if god hears our prayers and and god is you know god is moving in the spirit could it be that he's moving us to to action Mm. Can it be that he's just saying, would you stand up and say something? Would you stand up and do something? Would you get up and learn? That could be what God's calling us to do is just to learn, do some, do some Googling, get a couple books on Amazon or Kindle. It might not be this like, you know, I've organized a movement and we marched and we, you know, and we prayed and it, it, it could just be that you read a couple books and got educated about some issues so that you understand where people are coming from and why people feel that way. You know, I, I just think that at the end of the day, the answer to our prayer is action and education and it's repentance and it's forgiveness and all of that comes from us. Mm. That is so true. I love that. I think it's so good that you say that, you know, we are the answer to our prayers, essentially, because I think so often, at least for me, when it came to the topic of talking about unity or racial reconciliation it's almost this idea that like it's either people that have gone before us that are supposed to be continuing to talk about these things or sometimes as young people and young leaders it can feel very hard to figure out how to bridge the gap between what happened before us and understanding that we are currently standing in someone else's history like we're currently leading the way in what someone who will come after us will look back and realize that what we're standing in now is history and it's history in the making. And so to bring it all together, what do you think would be just some things our generation can do to really make a difference for not only the present, but to change history for those that will come after us? Yes, I think that it's necessary for our generation to stop standing in neutrality. Mm. Um, I think that what what has happened, I think the generation maybe before us, or maybe it's two generations, maybe it's it's both of them, to be honest, have have kind of felt like the best way to approach unity is to not approach it. Um, mm. And the best way to approach racial reconciliation is to just give a general message and not, you know, and not offend anybody. But I, I don't think I, I don't think that the way of Jesus is neutral. I think that God has made it very clear what his heart is. Wow. And our responsibility is not to stop trying to offend people. It's it's to exemplify and live out the ways of Jesus. And, and the way of Jesus is love. So, of course, the way that we do that is going to exemplify the love of Christ. But God has already laid out the standard. He loves every person from every racial background, and he made them that way intentionally. And so that informs the way that I approach it. And, and I think it's also recognizing that, um, you know, these kinds of issues, racism and biases, they're not always um, overt. You know, not everybody's walking around, you know, saying the N-word or being very like just vulgarly racist. Sometimes it's just, it's like deep 
thoughts in the back of your mind of, of, of what you assume about people and what you think about um, certain minorities and certain people. And so it's like, we can't sit in neutrality about that because that has to be called out and addressed and discipled mm-hmm. and led and pastored and poured into and prayed over. Like those are, those are deep things that we have to, we have to uproot as we uncover them. And so mm-hmm. I think that there's just an, an urgency for, for young leaders, but people in general to stop sitting in neutrality. God is not, God is anti-racist. And so the anti-racism is the mission of the church at some level. It's not the only mission, but it's definitely an extension of what Jesus would have done. He's not, he's not pro-racism. He loves every person, and but he's calling everybody higher. He's calling people into freedom. He's calling people to live in, in the realm of heaven. And that's different. In heaven, everybody from everywhere is there. So I, you know, it, imagining that, you know, you get to heaven and you're racist, you're going to be in for a really, <laughs> mm. a really rough eternity. Um, with people from everywhere up there. And that's not even God's heart anyway. I don't think that, um, I just don't think that we should be living there. I think that um, we have to decide not just to observe things that are bad and say, oh, I'm going to pray about that. But to say like, I'm not going to be neutral about this. I Mm. I can take actions right by myself. And action is not just, like I've said before, it's not just marching or organizing like a like a rally, it's 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 education, it's personal responsibility, it's having conversations, it's expanding your circle. It's not mm. so I'm not just gonna hang out with people that look like me and think like me. Let me let me get some people of color in my life. A lot of people only have one black friend. You need to have um, a couple more black friends than that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, you need to have a couple more. Meet some other people, you know, get into some other environments, get around some diversity, go and go and volunteer. There's usually a lot of um, like in, in inner city, a lot of areas that you can volunteer, refugee environments, go and volunteer, meet some people, get some perspectives, recognize, you know, what's going on. If you if you're able to give a lot of people, you know, have the freedom financially to to give. And I think God calls us to give and to live generous lives, giving to organizations that are helping to address um, the disparities that are facing so many people. That That's how we engage. That's how we step out of neutrality and into action. Mm. Wow. Come on. That is so powerful. Oh my gosh, Linga. I love your heart. Uh, you just speak with such conviction and grace in such a unique, unique way. And I absolutely love it. You mentioned about, you know, growing your circle. And I think that's so important. And I think the more that we begin to heal and strive for unity, that happens so naturally. And we begin to desire that. And so how have you seen your relationships change as you begin to grow in your passion for unity and heal and to begin to just grasp God's heart um, for unity? Yeah, I feel like my my circles have just changed so much. I think for me, I had kind of a the opposite experience that maybe a lot of a lot of people of color do, especially black people in America. Aside from my family, all of my friends and everyone I knew just in the places we lived, uh, we're all usually white people. So it was just me and then a whole bunch of white people. And I realized I didn't have enough black friends. Um, mm. So I know that's a unique dynamic because I think a lot of people usually are in environments where they kind of meet a lot more black people. But I didn't have that uh, really until I moved to, to to America, especially in England. That was that was the dynamic. So when, when I moved to America, I kind of made it a point to make sure I met people from other places that people that weren't just white. And so, I, you know, I just I, I kind of just 
would walk into rooms and I'm like, who, who's in here? Who can I meet that I wouldn't typically be around? Mm. And I would make it a point and in an, in honestly a mission at some level to say, I'm going to go and speak to them and, and I'm going to try and establish, you know, friendship or a connection with them. And I think even now that, that was obviously, that was probably about 12 years ago. So now as a, you know, as an adult, you know, it, working in a, in, in an environment where, you know, you kind of see the same people all the time. If I see a new face, I'm intentional to to meet people and, and going up to people. I think that like we can, I know that we people can be shy and you know there's all of these things and you wonder what people are gonna think. But I honestly think they've said this. I've I've read an article recently that people are more lonely than ever before. People mm-hmm. are looking for community. People are desperate for community. And I think if we could just step into a little bit of boldness, we could see our circles grow. And so I've kind of just adopted this like philosophy I'm gonna full send and if I see somebody that I'm like hey you know what I don't know them they don't know me I'm new here they're new here let's let me just go say hello there's nothing lost in a conversation but there's so much that could be gained um and I think that that freedom and that understanding just helps me to say let me approach some people and I don't just need to be approached, but I also want to be able to, you know, to initiate and take that first step. And that's why I'm saying, like, I think that, like, stepping out of neutrality is to also to say that you don't have to just wait for people to come to you, but you can actually go to them and you can go and initiate and you can go and start. And it's not always the easiest thing, but I think that the Holy Spirit can give us the necessary boldness to have all the conversations we need to have and meet people. And I think one conversation can lead to many. All of the friends that we have in our lives right now really are the fruit of one initial conversation. And so you just never know. Yeah, that's so good. And I think that's a challenge that we all should like strive for. Um, You know, like you said, getting out of neutrality and just being able to initiate. I think we often have gotten so comfortable and I think that's so cool that you've made that your mission and that definitely challenges me. And I've found that as we become more bold and we become people who desire to have diversity in our own lives, we begin to realize how beautiful the differences are. But at the same time, we realize we're a lot more alike than we may realize. Yeah. And we start to see the heart of God and how he displays himself uniquely through every single person that we encounter but also just how it brings us all together and how really unity should be so easy and it always blows my mind when I'm around people of all different backgrounds and conversations are flowing and you just see how present the heart of God is in those moments Um, I definitely want to take it back early in the conversation you mentioned that you'd rather be optimistic and hopeful than to face this with Um, a mindset of defeat. And I think it's so important to talk about um, for those who have just felt like all hope is lost and have almost shied away from Christianity and from just even desiring relationship with Jesus because of what they've seen in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, So what would you say to kind of shed light and to bring hope for those who almost don't even want anything to do with Jesus and Christianity because of the racial tension and because of the diversity and just the lack of love and community that has been brought about because of racial tension. Yeah. Wow. That's a very, very powerful and very relatable question. A little bit of, of my story is that when I was working um, at a church, um, 
my my pastor, senior pastor, started saying very kind of racist things about me, and it led to this you know accumulation of events. Ultimately, with me deciding just to leave that job because I didn't feel like it was you know the right environment for be mm-hmm. for me to be in, especially when all of my peers and everybody I worked with really wasn't weren't defending me, and then it actually even became this other situation where now after leaving because you know racism is not a reason you want to tell people someone left. So (laughs) they started Mm -hmm. telling, um, you know, telling things just that weren't true and and creating rumors just to kind of protect um, the way that they were being seen. Um, And it led to even me being told, um, not just in in this specific church that I worked for, but in the the broader uh, church movement that I was a part of, being told that I wouldn't be able to do um, ministry or launch a ministry in that environment unless I went to apologize to the people who had been racist to me. Um, and what's crazy about that situation is I was being asked to apologize, but they actually, the people who had perpetrated the racism were not being asked to apologize in order to continue doing their ministry. It was just mm. me. And so that gave me a very painful picture of what racism unchecked can look like wow. um, in a church environment. Um and I think, and I said this earlier, if, if I didn't have the relationship I, with God that I had, I would not have been able to um, really to process that and to still be, you know, I don't know, still an active follower of, of Jesus. It just, it just rattled me to think, man, like nobody has protected me. Nobody stood up for me. Nobody's mm-hmm. doing anything to prevent this. I kind of got to see like the worst, you know, <laughs> the worst possible situation. And I share that just because I think what, it helped me to see is that in that environment, God wasn't perpetrating the racism. Jesus wasn't perpetrating the racism. People were. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to recognize that within every person is the potential for, you know, for good and for every fruit of the spirit to be displayed. And there's also the potential for the flesh to win and for people to be hurt as a result of that. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens in a lot of these church hurt environments and a lot of these places where people are just unabashedly racist. I think in 2020 and in, um, honestly, from 2016 to 2020, especially, we saw more racism in church environments than I think we've seen in a while. And yeah. it was really interesting to to be able to, you know, to just see it so blatantly. And I, and I, I know firsthand how tra- traumatic that really was. But I think for me, it was, man, like my Jesus redeemed my life from the pit. It was remembering everything that God did for me. And that was the grounding thing that said, okay, in this environment, there is unhealth and there there's areas that they're not actually listening to the Holy Spirit and they're going to answer to the Holy Spirit for that. And mm-hmm. I'm responsible for my own faith and my own healing. Um, and I have to choose how to move forward. And from that space, then I was able to say, okay, I'm going to find a healthy house because I do believe we were not created to be in isolation. I think mm. I think that we're made to do life in community. I think that um, every place, even the places that start out good and turn bad, we're still at one point good, healthy, happy places that for a, a while we had good things, which is proof that there is potential for goodness to mm. come out of humans. And so we have to look for healthy environments and where it's, for me, what I've started to realize is what I'm looking for in a house is not to show up and think that, you know, there will never be racism in an environment, but that there are people with enough humility to recognize when they have done something wrong um, and repent from it, because that's really the issue is a lot of people are just doing things 
and and being unrepentant. And so I've started to look for that kind of environment. Um, and I just think that, man, Jesus wants Jesus wants us to heal. Um, Jesus wants us to heal. And so mm-hmm. when we're hurt, it's it's very necessary that we process and that we grieve and mourn and whatever we need to do. But I think that Jesus wants us to heal and Jesus, Jesus can heal us. And sometimes he'll do it in an instant, in a prayer moment, in a service. He can do that. But sometimes it's going to therapy and sometimes it's it's leaning into your community, into your friends and, and being intentional, spending time with God and being in the word. And I think that we we have to remember that we can come to God with everything and that he sustains us and he's faithful to complete every work that he starts. And he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And I'm not just speaking Christianese. I think if we believe God, we believe that what he's saying is true. And so if I'm in a situation that has turned out to be very crusty, like I was, I was in a horrible situation and I had to stand there and say, either this is it for me, or I recognize that what God said in his word is the truth and that he's going to make all things work together for me and he's going to redeem this situation and he's going to redeem my life and he's going to use my story if I believe that then I've got to stand in faith and I think sometimes it's just there's an invitation in the face of difficulty there's an invitation to faith sometimes we're looking for comfort and I recognize why that's important and why it feels like that's what we should we shouldn't get but I think that a lot of times in our pain God's in, God invites us into faith because there's something that can happen um, when we step into the the faith side of things. God could do a miracle, and it might like it could be an instant miracle, or it could be a miracle that happens in a process. And I had to just decide what I wanted to do. Do I want to do I want to stand in faith, or is this is this too much for me? And if it's too much for me, have I explored? Um, if I ex- I've explored, I guess options for healing because I, mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's too much because we're trying to do it alone. Um, not because it's just too much. Sometimes we we think it's it's too much, um, but we're just not staying connected with people who can help us to carry the load and carry the burden and help us process. Um, and that's why community is necessary. And so I think that we have to say, okay, Holy Spirit, would you help me to connect to a church body um, that's going to love me for me and help me as I process through the pains of this past season I've walked through that's been painful, but I don't think that the answer is just to, to exit what Jesus is coming back for. He's coming back for Mm. church, not just individuals. Yes, individuals, but the gathering of the saints where two or three are gathered there. He is among them. Like there, there's so much power in the gathering and the worship and the community and the, of of the saints, of people coming together who love Jesus, doing life together. And it's not just community, you know, day to day when you're, you know, when you get off work and you hang out, it's, it's in the house of God, worshiping together, blessing his name. All of those things are part of what Jesus has for us. It's what Jesus is coming back for. And we have to, we, we get to, we get to be a part of it. There's an invitation from God. And so I think that when we navigate these difficult things, we have to ask God to help us heal and show us what's in front of us or what we need to find if it's not in front of us so that we can heal um, and step into the next seasons without carrying the pain of, of past hurts. Wow. That is so good. And that's such practical yet also so spiritually rich advice um, to just heal. And it is so true that Jesus is coming back for all of us, for his people. 
Um, and that's not one tribe. That's not one people group. That is every tribe, every nation, every tongue together. And that always brings me so much hope and just pushes me and stirs me to live a life that looks like diversity and unity and like the heartbeat of heaven. Um, and Linga, I have absolutely loved this conversation with you. Your voice um, is just so powerful and it brings me so much hope um, and gives me reason to really feel that there's so much hope to come and that unity is possible. Um, and I just want to thank you for joining me at the table and for having this conversation with me. You inspire me. Um, and I know you and I have both talked about how sometimes it can look like there are not many people like us who are doing ministry and who are given opportunities to share and to spread the gospel. But you're definitely doing that in such beautiful and unique ways. And I'm inspired. And so thank you for joining me here at the table. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. You're incredible. And this is an incredible platform. I'm so glad I got to be a part. So for anyone who wants to follow along and keep learning from you and stay connected with you, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so I am on Instagram at Linga the Boss. Um, I'm a I'm an artist. I'm a rapper too. So you can find my music on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere else you stream music, uh, and that's also Linga the Boss. Yes, and she is definitely a boss. Definitely go check her out. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you are anyone who is just so inspired by this conversation or uh, want to keep dissecting this and discussing um, any of this that we talked about, be sure to reach out to Linga, follow her on social media, um, shoot her a message, or you can uh, message at the Table for Two Instagram, and that's at Table for Two Podcast. That's T-O-O. Um, so be sure to follow Linga. We can keep hanging out um, on the Instagram. And again, this has been such a good conversation. And I hope that if you listened, you walk away knowing that um, there's a place for you in God's table, no matter your background. Um, and we are still able to bring unity and we all have a role to play in that. And thank you, Linga, once again for joining me. It was incredible. And we will see you guys back next week here at the table. Talk to you soon. Bye.